HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, we have Simon Wolf here moderating this panel. It's the Orange Wines panel. In the last month, he just published his book, Amber Revolution, if you want to check it out after the panel. Um, and he's been familiarizing himself with orange wines for seven plus years, I'm sure longer. We're excited for him to discuss these wines with our panelists. We have Alberto Anguisolo, Deidre Heakin, and Sasha Radicon, and he'll be joining us in a minute. He's just gone to get a glass. <laughs> um, but you'll be tasting and discussing six different wines, three from the panelists that you see here, and three additional wines that Simon's chosen. Um, we will have time for questions at the end, but I'll let him take it from here. Thank you, Simon. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to see so many of you. Thanks for coming. Um, I wanted to do a session today that goes a bit deeper into orange wines. I'm sh you know, you're all professionals, so I'm sure you know what they are, and maybe you already decided whether you like them or not. I hope you do like them. Um, my conceit this morning is to talk about how I think when you macerate white grapes, uh, it actually allows them to express their variety and their terroir better than if you don't in many cases. And the reason I wanted to do this is because a lot of, a lot of people who are skeptical about orange wine, they often say, well, they all taste the same, you lose the terroir, you lose the variety. Uh, I think that's complete nonsense. Uh, and I hope to try and prove it to you this morning, if you don't believe me, um, with six wonderful wines. And I'm very happy to have these three winemakers here, and they're going to tell you why they think maceration is important in their white wines, too. Um, just want to leave you with one little thought before we get started on the wines. When people say to me, well, orange wines can't express terroir, the first thing that pops into my mind, well, they're made the same way the red wines are, so are you going to tell me that red wines can't express terroir? You know, they're both macerated wines. So, uh, have a think about that. Um, we'll taste the wines, we're going to go through them fairly quickly. Um, because we haven't got a lot of time, and then uh, we can open up the discussion a bit at the end, because I'm dying to hear what you think. Um, Are we pouring the first wine already? Nope, we're burning one more. This one should be great. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, so I think we're just coming around and pouring you the first wine now. Um, so I'm going to introduce the first wine. So we've got, I thought we'd start with a wine from Slovakia. Um, Slovakia is a very, very interesting terroir for wine. It's right on the edges of what you would traditionally consider to be, you know, within the acceptable range of latitude for wine production. So it's at about 48 degrees latitude. It's a pretty extreme continental climate. And for me, Slovakian wines, they often have a real kind of energy in the acidity. They often have these kind of quite exaggerated herbal flavors. They, they can even be a little bit strident. Um, and I think the great thing with maceration, that just gives them a bit more of a basis to, to sit on. So the wine that we're pouring for you now is from Strekov, 1075. And uh, Jolt is here today. He's in the big room if you want to go and taste more of his wines later. Uh, this is his uh, high on 2007. It's 100% Valsriesling. Uh, 
Welsh Riesling to me is a very interesting variety because I, I think it's actually a pretty dull variety when it's made as a conventional white wine. I'm not really a fan of it. Um, but when you macerate it and include the skins, suddenly some, some magic happens. It's suddenly it's got flavor, it's got aromas, and I think you can find that in this wine. Uh, not sure if everybody has it yet, but if you don't, you will soon. So the, the Hyon had two weeks of skin contact. Um, I think there's no sulfur in this wine. Um, yeah, and as you can see, it's taken on a lot of color in that time. And I think this is a really, if you're not familiar with wines from Slovakia or the Czech Republic, I think this is really typical actually. It's got that kind of really nervous kind of acidic uh, quality to it. It's really got, uh, it's a lot of tension, a lot of excitement in this wine. Really lifted citrus flavors and herbal notes going on. Um, just a little bit about the soil as well. It's a, it's a clay loam soil. Uh, which I think is a good thing for Welsh Riesling, just gives a little bit more body, stops it becoming too lightweight. Uh, okay. Did everybody get the, that wine already? Cool. Great. So this is where I wanted to start. Um, what we're going to do for the next wine is I'll have uh, Alberto from Casse introduce it and tell you a bit more about it. Um, so we'll slowly move on to wine number two. Um, so Alberto, what I wanted to, what I'd love you to just tell us all is tell us a little about about your Casse Bianco. Uh, tell us about the what's special about the varieties and the terroir, and I really want to hear about why maceration is such an important component uh, in your wines. Thanks. Uh, sorry, eh? it's not so easy for me. With this Can you help me? Thank you for coming. Um, I'm Alberto. We are in the northwest of Italy, the, part, the northwest part of Emilia-Romagna on a valley, the name is Trebbia Valley, between Piacenza and Genova. Uh, you will taste here a, a typical blend of our region, it's very typical. Uh, we have four main valleys, and in all these four valleys, this one is the normal blend that we made from a lot of years. With different name for each valley, but it's a, it's a choice. Um, inside here you will have uh, four grapes. First of all, the big part is made by Malvasia Aromatica di Candia. Like you know, there are different types of Malvasia. This one is uh, Aromatica di Candia, is tannics and uh, aromatic, a lot. But uh, uh, remains in the region because we have a lot of in the food, pork or fat food. And so also Malvasia with these tannins help you to clean your mouth. Uh, other uh, three grapes are uh, Marsan, is the same of Côte Durand, eh? because we have exactly, we had a lot of influence from the French people and it's the same latitude, exactly the same of Avignon. So remains in our region. Ortrugo, that is present only in Piacenza, that is uh, flat and acid, and in the past the old people, they used to decrease at, um, the aromaticity and tannins of Malvasia, and then a little bit of Moscato, that is another aromatic grapes. Uh, what we can do in this case uh, is uh, 2016, uh, um, the maturation, uh, we change, it's not uh, always the same, it's not uh, like a label, uh, you need to understand which type of grape, the quality of the grapes, the weather, and uh, in this case was uh, 30 days, 30 days, one month. Um, concrete inox, no sulfide, no filtration. Allora, the, the maceration in our region was tradition, absolutely tradition. It was the industry that in the last 50, 40 years, they have decided to, to, to convince the people and the winemaker that uh, to have a wine, to, to eliminate, to, to start with the white vinification that in our region before didn't exist. It's only coming from France, in our region. I don't know the other, after they will speak. 
So um, I remember when I was a child uh, in Christmas time, wine that with la color amber, very, very, like uh, more or less the color was the, the same of the red wine sometimes. The reason is, uh, uh, you can imagine, uh, you can make also a, a, a test, not, not now because uh, we are not in the harvest time. So if you have next September or in Australia or in Chile, next, if you have the possibility to be near a vines, try to make this job. For example, an example, we take uh, uh, some uh, Malvasia, uh, a Sauvignon and Malvasia. Malvasia, you will taste, is very aromatic, Sauvignon, you know. If you try to eat the internal part, the liquid, we say pulp, uh, the part that you have inside, and you put in your mouth, it's impossible to understand which is Sauvignon and which is Malvasia. Absolutely, try. Or which is Cabernet Sauvignon and which is Pinot Nero. If you use also the, the skin and you masticare, some, after some second, you will arrive, we say per via retronasale, from this part, you, you will have some aroma and you can understand very well which is Sauvignon and which is. So like in all the fruit, the good part with the vitamins, tannins, natural conservant, the taste, the flavor is not inside. Inside the, 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 the skin, you have only acid a little bit, sugar and water. This is for reason that why we, we, we need to lose, why the industry has to lose this, to have a wine that is ready immediately like a soft drink. December 2018, you have the wine of 2018. Impossible. With this type of wine, is impossible. You can have wine a little bit younger like this, or, or mine, but uh, for example, Radicon is making wine that they, they need more time. They need, and are super natural. Why we need to lose this part that is the, the, the and also uh, imagine that uh, if we lose this part, we lose also the terroir, a big part of the terroir, that we lose also with, the, but it's not the place to discuss, we, when you use uh, um, the, the, the yeast that you buy, or the yeast with Piedicouf, it's the same. So we lose all the yeast that uh, when you start and you made a Piedicouf, you lose all the yeast apiculati that in the two, two days works. Simon, help me. What uh, we can do? Um, no, I think that's that's great. Thanks, Alberto. I think um, something I'd like to just add about this wine. What uh, I think this is is a beautiful wine. It just it you've got all these lovely kind of lifted exotic aromatics. It's slightly floral, kind of slightly very very ripe tropical fruit. And for me, that's always one of the the magical things about skin maceration with these aromatic varieties that it just it just kind of pumps up the volume a little bit and fleshes it out. The, the last thing in uh, in, the, in the Malvasia uh, with the skin contact after uh, some months, some some year in bottles, you can understand very well. For example, uh, the mint and the so, um, salvia, sage, sage, sage. If you have the skin contact, uh, it's not so easy. In, in this case, it's very clear. Eh? Unfortunately, sometimes you need time, time in bottle. Eh? Um, great. I, yeah, I have to say, I really love this wine. It's, it's, it's so much complexity here. You know, if you take these varieties and just make it as a fresh white wine, you get something that's enjoyable. But I think here you have, you have real complexity, some herbal notes, some kind of hay, all kinds of things going on. Um, thanks very much, Alberto. So we'll, we'll move slowly on to wine number three, uh, if we can start pouring that. Um, so the third wine today, we're, gonna, we're heading to Slovenia now. Uh, it's a, a winemaker called Uros Klabjan. Uh, he's also in the main room today. Um, Urosh and I were we were speaking about the way he makes his wines actually just last night, and he said to me, he said, Simon, you know, I don't make any fresh white wines because that's not traditional in our region. That's not what we do. You know, we never did this, so it's not what I want to do. So he makes he makes two different Malvasias, not the same Malvasia uh, that they have in Emilia Romagna. Um, so. Klabian is located in the Slovenian part of Istria, so Istria. Um, he's quite near the Adriatic Sea, so he's not right on the coast, but he's definitely got some coastal influence in his wine. 
And the variety they have there is, uh, is Malvasia istriana. Uh, so it's originally from that region, uh, or possibly a little bit further down in the Croatian part. Um, and what Urosh does in the black label Malvasia that you're going to try today, uh, you've got a maceration of somewhere between four to ten days. So what he does is he harvests different plots from different vineyards, and then they all go into a selection of, in most cases, extremely old barrels, 1,000 litre, 500 litre. Some of the barrels do shorter macerations, some of the barrels do longer macerations, and then he blends it together for the final wine. Um, we have the 2015 today, which is his current vintage, so this is a wine that he likes to age. Um, he does make, uh, so he also makes a white label version uh, with much shorter maceration time of about two days from some of his younger vineyards. But I wanted to show you the, the kind of full effect today. So this is the, the black label. The interesting thing about Malvasia, if you've, if you've ever tried um, more kind of conventionally made non-macerated Malvasia Istriana, uh, either from Friuli or, or from Slovenia or Croatia. It's a great variety that can really easily get out of control. Uh, it, it ripens with easily 15% alcohol or more. It's kind of got this kind of super overblown peachy apricot fruit and sometimes it can just it can just get over the top. Uh, and I think the, the fantastic thing is when you include the skins, when you do a skin ferment, maceration, that stops being a problem because you get texture and you get structure that just gives it a foundation and gives it that little bit of lift that it otherwise wouldn't have. So I think you've got You've got this really wonderful, quite concentrated, almost dried apricot fruit in this wine. It's actually a serious amount of mineral and salty notes in this too. I think if um, maybe I'm being a little bit whimsical, but I'm going to suggest that the, the coastal influence on this wine is, is noticeable. And I think um, I really appreciate that Eros releases this wine when it's three years old. So you can feel that nice grip, that nice structure, but it's not, it's not strident, you know, it's not, uh, to me, there's like, there's, there's nothing kind of bitter that, or um, angular about this wine. It's, it's got superb balance. Um, just to say about the soils. Um, so the, the soils in Istra are a kind of marl, kind of marly clay and, um, Argile soil, so it's a relatively heavy soil. Um, Urosh's vineyards, some of them are quite old. Um, they go up to a few hundred meters high, so he's got a bit of altitude, and that coastal influence uh, just giving him extra acidity. Because if you if you go and have a Malvasia from the the flat part of uh, Friuli, Colli Orientale, or something like that, I mean they just get they just get overblown. And I think what I really appreciate in this wine is it's, it's in balance. You know, it's, I think it's quite high on the alcohol. I didn't actually check the label earlier, but it's, it's just got those lovely kind of salty textured notes just to, to keep it in balance. Okay, so, so I feel like I'm rushing a bit, uh, so apologies, but uh, that means we'll have more time to discuss and have questions at the end. Uh, for the next wine, um, delighted that we've got Deirdre here from La Garagista. Um, I just want to say uh, Deirdre's probably one of the first people who really made a case for making wine in Vermont, uh, which is a very cold climate for when it comes to grape growing. She's pioneered so many things up there. So Deirdre, tell us about your wine and tell us about Stop me if I'm wrong here, but tell us about, I think you made the decision that you macerate all of your white grapes. I do, I do. Um, <coughs> and I, instead of saying I've lost my voice, I'm going to say that I'm getting my voice back. <laughs> um, so I apologize. Um, so, well, first of all, I just want to say that this is uh, kind of crazy and incredible to be 
showing this wine among these other wines um, that are all based on tradition because where I come from and where I make wine, there is no tradition. Um, we're still figuring it out. Um, in my background, I, I had an opportunity early in my life to uh, live and work in Italy. So uh, my uh, Venus education uh, was very well informed by Italian wine. And um, one of the things when I started making wine in Vermont that I realized about these varieties and the, and the varieties that we work with, I call cold hardy alpine varieties. Um, you may also know them as hybrids. Um, and what they are, they are crosses between Vitis vinifera and uh, what grows wild here in uh, the, the northern United States or North America. And they're very intricate Baroque crossings um, to be able to grow and make wine from varieties that can withstand uh, extreme conditions like our, our winters. Um, I'm losing my track a little bit, so maybe I'll just get uh, straight into the wine. Um, well, I guess one of the things that I, I noticed about working with these varieties is that they are very tenacious with their juice. So uh, as a, a way to begin working with them, um, I thought doing maceration, um, and I realized that maceration would be a way to be able to extract more of the juice because if you just went directly into the press, you just wouldn't get anything and you'd have all these beautiful berries that you couldn't, um, couldn't realize. So everything comes in, all, all the whites and all the reds, everything comes in and either goes through a whole cluster or gets destemmed and then foot crushed, uh, red and white, and then goes through whatever, whatever process that it's going to go through. Um, the Vinu Yanku um, is uh, from a vineyard that mm -hmm. is right on Lake Champlain. Lake Cham, the whole, the whole valley, of the Champlain Valley and Lake Champlain used to be a sea. Um, so there are very, very deep deposits of limestone there. Uh, there are about four or five different clays that ride above the limestone, about a foot to three feet. In this particular vineyard, which is in the village of West Addison, uh, right on a bay called Owl's Head Bay, uh, there are about three feet of these different kinds of clay, black, yellow, green, gray, um, and what we think of as more of a red clay. Um, and then below that are just these very, very deep deposits of limestone. Um, so I find that working in this kind of soil, uh, we get a lot of savory qualities and a lot of salt. Um, and I would agree completely um, with this notion that the terroir actually exists in the skin. Um, for us, with this particular wine, this particular vineyard, it's a, it's a wild vineyard. We work with the wildflowers in terms of our agriculture. And we do, we are able to do something very, very unusual, which is allow the uh, wildflowers to grow up into the canopy with the fruit. In our climate, that is um, kind of not heard of because we have a lot of humidity. And you usually want to keep the undergrowth, uh, the understory away from the fruit and the leaves in terms of protecting the grapes from disease and rot. But for us, we found that the wildflowers that were growing in the vineyard actually were protecting the grapes themselves because they had antifungal and antimicrobial properties. And the essential oils that surrounded the fruit uh, allowed them to remain clean throughout the season, even if we had rain or we had uh, high humidity and high heat. So the kinds of wildflowers we have are things like purple aster, goldenrod, daisy fleabane, wild mint, wild carrot, uh, and it's constantly changing and evolving, so it'll be interesting to see how the wine changes and, and evolves with the kinds of flowers that are making contact with the fruit. Um, for me, that is what I would consider our Vermont Garrigue or Maquis. Um, I think it informs the wine incredibly. Um, it, the, the variety is called La Crescent, which is, uh, if we have a noble variety someday in Vermont, La Crescent may be one of them. Uh, it is descendant from two different kinds of Muscat, uh, Moscato Giallo and Moscato d'Amborgo. So highly aromatic, um, lots of spice, things like white pepper, cumin, 
But in addition to those things already present varietally in the skin, you get this sense of the terroir, um, which is through the flowers and for me also through the clay. And when, before I began making wine in Vermont and tasting other wineries that had started before me, everybody was working in this direct press kind of fresh white wine style. And you, you understood, they, they were like moscatos. You, you understood what La Crescent was varietally, but you really began to understand, or I felt like I began to understand what the grape was trying to say about its place if we allowed it to be on its skins. And I, yes, I could go on, but. <laughs> I, I, I just want to add, add something I find really interesting about this, this wine. I think probably the two most extreme terroirs that we're tasting today are probably Deirdre's wine and the, the first wine, the Strakoff. And I do see some. I do see some quite significant similarities. I don't know if you, if you can remember the first wine, like both of these wines from from terroirs that have quite extreme cold as well as sun. You do get, you get these kind of more exaggerated herbaceous qualities. I think and mm -hmm. kind of this kind of what I call a kind of certain nervosity. Yes. Um, and that it's really striking me now. I'm tasting this, and I'm I'm thinking back to to Hyon. Yes. And and I guess maybe I might add just. Technically, uh, this is a 2016 vintage. Uh, it was on the skins for about six and a half weeks. It varies for me every year. It depends on the vintage, how long we keep it on the skins, but it can range anywhere from four to nine weeks so far. It may be longer or shorter in the future, but. Fantastic, thanks so much, Deirdre. So we'll, uh, we'll start moving on to the fifth wine. Um, so I wanted to show you, so we've had a wine from a, a, a very cool climate part of the US. Now we'll go to the other extreme uh, and um, let's have a taste of the Grenache Blanc made in Amphora from Ambith. So Ambith are based in Paso Robles, very, very hot part of California. Um, this specific wine, the Grenache Blanc, is actually from a vineyard in Santa Barbara. And again, there's just a little bit more coastal influence in Santa Barbara, which I think helps rein this in nicely. Um, Ambeth is, if you don't know them, is, is quite an interesting story. It's a, a Welshman named Philip Hart, who uh, came in 2000, and he found what he described as an, a most absolutely pristine piece of land, never been treated with any chemicals, never had any kind of industrial farming on it, and he decided that's where I want to plant a vineyard. And there's this great story about Philip that uh, when he first started making wine, um, and he waited for his vineyard to mature, and then in the mid to late 2000s, uh, he started making wine. And he started with the assumption that everybody who makes wine always makes it naturally. So he just thought if you make wine, you don't need to add anything, you don't need to do any kind of intervention. He thought that was the norm, and then he was completely shocked when he discovered that that's not how most people make wine these days. Uh, so I think it's a nice story. Um, and of course, it just encouraged him to go deeper. Um, and he's found that, that maceration is a really important way if he wants to have reliable fermentations and if he wants to have a, a stable wine with texture and interest. Um, so this is his Grenache Blanc 2015 um, from Santa Barbara. Uh, it did a 10-day skin contact um, in the amphora, and then it was aged for another 11 months uh, in a mix of amphoras. I think they're 300 liters and 700 liters. And the amphoras come from Italy. I don't know the person who made the amphoras. I haven't got that detail, but <laughs> it's probably not too important. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to have a quick taste. What I really like about this wine is the texture. I love that kind of nice chewiness, kind of a little bit of hint of spiced honey. It's a real texture wine. I think this is still a very young wine. Um, if, you, if any of you have ever been lucky enough to try, I think it's the 2013 vintage of this wine. It's in an incredible place right now. It's just kind of opened up more fruit, more aromatics. So this to me is a little bit closed. I'd like to, I'd like to see this again in a year or two if I could. 
probably won't have that chance, but let's see. Um, but it, I think it's already, it's showing this wonderful potential. And again, it's, even though it's from this, you know, what for me as a European is a very, very hot climate, I think it's it's just got that lovely freshness and those tannins just just help with attention and help clean the mouth. They stop it becoming heavy. It all works beautifully, in my opinion. Mm. I'm trying to um, trying to stop myself just sitting here and enjoying this, but instead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, instead, we'll move on. Um, um, so the last wine um, comes from uh, uh, Sasha Radikon, who probably needs no introduction. So you know, if there's if there's one family that helped put orange wines on the map again after this style was completely forgotten, then it's the Radikons. So I'm super happy to have Sasha with us today. Sasha, tell us why maceration helps you express your terroir and this wonderful Ribola Jala variety that for me is the king of macerated wines. Yeah, <coughs> thank you and thank you for, for coming for this tasting. Um, it's interesting but <coughs> I think that um, why orange wines? I mean <coughs> I don't know any other type of wine. <laughs> That's for me the wine we, we should have. Um, but it's interesting how, how the world changed in the last 10 years. And this is even thanks to, to the people who drink these wines. And I see in every um, single uh, restaurant I, um, um, I go in, in around the world, you now find basically uh, um, a list with orange wines. And uh, at, at least they have some orange wines. And this is, this is something which 10 years ago, when I start to come to the US, it, that it doesn't happen. It was difficult even to, uh, to explain what orange wine is. Um, and, this is very, and this is very nice because now it's, we, can, we can drink better and this is a very good thing. Um, orange wine, the skins are uh, the, the most important part of the, of the, of the grapes. And um, <coughs> I think you know they say a lot, a lot of the nice things. And, um, I can't really imagine Ribola without skin contact. I, I had the taste of that, but um, I can't really imagine because I know the grape and uh, I know the grape and, and, and I exactly know if the, there's no skin contact on Ribola in particular, um, you will have a easy, so, soft, but uh, basically unsense wine. And Ribola have very thick skin, and this is why we, we start really to think about this. About this, uh, my father starts more than 20 years ago to make this skin contact, to make this, these things again. Uh, it was really very old techniques. We know that that everybody was making orange wines before enologists come. Then, um, then it, it was normal for that period. It probably was more difficult. Was more probably the wines was not like this, but. Uh, I think that it's, it's really important to, um, if you want to have a, a good Ribola, you, you should make a, make a skin contact because otherwise you lose the biggest part of the, of the skins and uh, of the of the grape in, by itself. And can you imagine that <coughs> even the grappa producers they they were they used to pay uh, almost a double price for the skins of Ribola instead of all the others because they exactly know that in that skins there's a lot a lot of new new things a lot of good things for 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 the um, for the, um, the grappa and um, after all the years we are making orange wines we are experimenting a lot we we even now we don't know i think we don't know nothing about them but we still experiment we still try to understand how we, how can be how can be the next vintage and how can be the new the new wave and um but um, I think with the long skin contact, uh, the focus is for me, it's many times with this wine, it is the period which the, the skins are in contact with wine. And when we have alcohol in contact with the skins, that's a, 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 nice, a nice thing because you extract a little bit more. And uh, in, at that point, we, you can really have a, a lot of nice flavors. And uh, the, this period after fermentation is very, is very important. And that's what's happening now. Then we have Ribola still on the skins and waiting for us. 
Uh, I close everything just a few days before I leave because uh, it's full, it's there, it's with, with contact with the skin but completely submerged in, in wine. And, um, and this morning I, <laughs> I was talking with the guys because I was missing a little bit my wines. Then uh, <laughs> I was talking to the guys, how, how it's going, how, everything is okay? They say, yeah, yeah, don't, don't be afraid, that's okay. Uh, another few days and then I go back. <laughs> And um, yeah, this is, you know, the skins are most, I mean, every fruit have the best part is in the skins and why we should lose this for white wines. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. I think um, one, one of the things that absolutely fascinates me about Ribola Jala, I mean, I remember one of the first times I met Sasha and his dad, um, they were telling me, you know, you realize that the skins of Ebola Jala are so thick that you couldn't actually press them. People had so many problems pressing Ribola Jala back in the day when they had old bean presses. You basically had to macerate it or, or it would just jam the press. And I think the, the other thing, as, as Sasha says, if you, if you take Ribola Jala and you press immediately and throw away the skins, you get acidity, make you know, probably depends on what kind of yeast you use. Maybe you get some kind of floral stuff, but it's really not a very complex or interesting wine. Uh, but suddenly, with this maceration, you get—it's incredible. You know, you get honey notes, you get herbal notes. It's—I always think it's not—it's not a great variety that's really about fruit, uh, but it's got so many other things. Spices. It's really yeah. regal. Um, and again, I mean, this is your 2012. For me, this is a wine. It's it's right at the beginning of a, a long journey. You know, this mm. can, you know, this is going to be really interesting five, ten years from now. I think. I think yes. You can come back and do this together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so these are these are six wines from from very different terroirs, different soils, different grape varieties. I. I think they've shown you a tiny, tiny little bit of the variety that macerated wines can have, and hopefully they've shown you how expressive these wines are of the raw material that comes out of the vineyard. Um, let's um, let's take some questions. What what will what I'll do for the questions? You you can, if you have a specific question, you want to ask one of the winemakers or me, then, then you can say so. If you just want to ask a general question, then I, I might rally it out to whoever I think is the, is the best person to answer. So who'd like to, who'd like to add something to the discussion? Yeah. I, I think it, it. I mean, there are there are plenty of orange wines out there that are made from international varieties. So, in fact, in Slovenia, there's quite a few producers making macerated Chardonnay. In, in fact, I mean, Radikon's Slatnik blend uh, and Oslavia blend uh, both international varieties. So, uh, it just comes down to what people have in their vineyards and what's typical for that region. I think. Uh, and also, don't forget, I mean, a lot of these wines are blends, so it might not be immediately obvious. Um, um, Alberto, you wanted to add something to this? Can I try? Yeah, please. Yeah. <sighs> For me, I speak uh, with the voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, naturally, it's is more simple, sorry for my English, uh, it's more simple in, uh, the, in the region in which for, uh, for example, but uh, there are people like in, uh, in the north of France, like for example, uh, in the, my mind there is Sebastien Riffaut uh, in, in the north of, uh, that is making maceration uh, with the Sauvignon. Certainly, it's not so simple. Why? For one reason, I said before, France arrived with the white vinification and the industry takes and uh, arrive in Italy. Because you are, you were at the limit of uh, the wine, uh, the 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 de la cultivazione della vite. You were because yeah. now the weather is changing. It's changed uh, a lot. Yeah, right. But uh, so uh, uh, in Champagne, uh, this skin are not so. Sometimes uh, they don't know. They don't know this skin. Be 
school are full of, sometimes were full of mushroom, uh, botrytis, okay? So they were absolutely intelligent to say, okay, we eliminate right. immediately. Right. So on 10 years, nine were in this way. We eliminate. The alcohol was seven, eight. What we make with this? Second fermentation to increase the alcohol. Special wine that is the champagne. Fantastic. But in now that the weather is changing, but this is, uh, Sebastian Rifo is uh, the example of the, uh, if you maintain, if you can maintain in this vintage, in this place, the skin contact, the skin inside the wine, mm -hmm. you are not. But it's like uh, all the fruit, if you can imagine, the fruit is, uh, the, the best is in the skin, the best. But there is a reason, no, I understand, you understand me when I say in the, the white vinification is not uh, terrible. Was born, was born because there was a reason. But in Italy we, we had, and we have, now we have, in, in particularly now, a lot of sun. I am at 600 meters, but I had a lot, a lot of sun during the day. Yeah, uh, do you make why, a... Why lose this opportunity like... Uh, Right, and you make a, he makes a really good point about how um, wines in, say, Champagne developed in an area that was wetter, colder, more rain, um, that the skins would be compromised during the growing season, especially if you were trying to work organically. Um, second fermentation or sparkling makes a lot of, it is the easiest way to correct a wine naturally um, because it will eat that second fermentation will eat all the, the bacteria. Um, so that's, that's very interesting to me that you say that. Um, that's not at all what you asked, <laughs> but, um, <coughs> but it is a really interesting yeah. point um, that these areas maybe that have, even in an area like ours, which is known um, for some rain, humidity, and cold, we have a lot of sun. It gets very, very hot. Um, the vineyard that this is from, I mean, a lot of the, we make a, another wine in this vineyard that's a red wine, but we actually wait for uh, half the bunch to raisinate because there is so much heat and there's a, uh, that has led us to a particular kind of wine that we make from that vineyard because of that. So that I think is very intriguing. Yeah. Thanks. Um, let's take another question. Anyone? You're all very shy this morning. <laughs> No? Um, <coughs> yes, at the back. principal reason is that um, many times happens that we sit down on, on the table in a restaurant and uh, you are two people you start to talk and you start to drink a little bit of wine and when the main course comes you are out of wine <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> then we need more that's <laughs> I think wasn't it uh, <laughs> wasn't it wasn't it Eddie Cante who said to your dad you know the one liter bottle is the perfect size for two people if one of them isn't drinking. <laughs> that's true. That's oh, there's even a <clears throat> another reason. But um, we was in, in that period, we was researching what, uh, what uh, cork can, which cork we can have. And uh, we was asking to cork producers which is the best cork they can give us. And we realized that uh, these small corks, they are a little bit better because um, <clears throat> they are growing on the hills where it's a little bit less humidity and less humidity means less fungus and less problems. Um, and <clears throat> but it, was, it, it is too small to use for, for a classic, uh, classic bottle. It's too thin. Then we, we reduce the, the, um, the neck of the bottle for first. And then the proportion between the, <clears throat> the cork and wine in the liter bottle is the same like in the magnum. Then because the Magnum is the best aging for wine, and we always age the wines very long, um, I think having the best bottle is something uh, important. And then we have the liter bottle, which is the best aging for wine. We age the wines for two years, and 
This is why we, we start with that. And after that, the half liter bonds, because sometimes, only sometimes, one bottle, one liter, and one person can be too much. <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious if anybody wants to contest the notion that the, of terroir that we're talking about here. Does anybody feel that these wines are not expressing what you want them to express? Be brave. <laughs> no? Okay. Well, that was, okay. that was easy. Okay. I'm glad if we convinced you or you already agreed with us. But okay. Anyone, uh, any other questions? I'll 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 give my version and then maybe these guys will jump in as well. I think it's it's very very different from winemaker to winemaker. So for example, I think Sasha, you you don't particularly look uh, for botrytis, <coughs> but me in particular, I don't I don't like a lot the botrytis. Yeah. But it's more connected to to the thing that what I'm trying to do the wines without sulfur, and uh, <coughs> I think botrytis have a lot of uh, bacteria and things like that. And then basically it's not possible to, to do the vinification completely without sulfur if you have botrytis on it. But um, there are... Um, that's, um, that's not the religion. I mean, we did it in 2014 because of the rain. We had some botrytis and uh, I was using some sulfur. That's it. So it, it's, I think it's a, it's a very personal decision. So uh, there's, the, there's some other people in Sasha's re region. I mean, uh, uh, the Gravners and Damian Podversic, um, they both quite like working with botrytis, but then again, they are, they're also typically using um, some sulfur in their wines. So, so I think it's, it's, it's very much a personal decision, varies from region to region. Some grape varieties work well with it, others don't. Um, yeah, so you speak to 10 winemakers, you'll get 10 different answers to your question, I think. I mean, it adds, you know, what it adds, obviously, you know, a certain richness, kind of more tertiary flavors. And I think probably just like, like everything that gets amplified when you macerate. Uh, so some people like that, other people don't. I guess as a follow-on question, uh, to what extent do you all spontaneously So I think um, everybody that's making a traditional style orange wines is fermenting spontaneously. And actually it was Sasha that told me a few years ago, I think that if, you, if you're not using spontaneous fermentation, then you're going to end up muting the characteristic of what's in the skins. Yeah. So there's not much point in using them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think I have tasted two or three so-called orange wines that were made with selected yeasts uh, from larger, kind of more mainstream producers who wanted to dip a toe in the water. In, in my opinion, they weren't very successful um, because they just they were sort of you know rather namby pamby orange wines, if you will. Didn't really they didn't really start to get the characteristics that you expect. Yes, and I think part of that is because selected yeast move much faster. You you wouldn't be allowed you wouldn't have the time to let the wine sit on the skins unless you were doing a post fermentation maceration. But, you know, with selected yeast, you aren't typically, I mean, I've never used it, <laughs> but my understanding is that uh, your fermentation would be done in about a week. So that's a kind of a different story. You wouldn't be able to collect <coughs> that. That's actually, that, yeah, that actually touches on quite an interesting point because um, quite, quite a lot of the winemakers who are working in this style are not at all scared if you have a fermentation that takes months. Uh, whereas if you take white grapes and get rid of the skins and you leave them sitting there for months, then you know that you could have some problems. Yes, absolutely. I think what Alberto said before it was nice because about yeasts, it's the, the the beginning of the fermentation when you have a spontaneous fermentation, you have this uh, what everybody called bad yeasts, but they are still taking out some flavors. We are from the skins, the apiculati is not how to call it. They, they take all nice flavors out from the from the um, from the skins and from the grape from, from the grapes if you add something you will not have all that part then it's uh, it's kind of bad if you want to if you add it uh, uh, it's it's changing everything then the, the rules are changing then I mean it's too fast it's too direct and you lose a part of the flavors 
Uh, it should be a little bit of VA, it should be a little bit of, of different kind of uh, flavors to, to be uh, in different flavors in, in the same in, in the grapes, and in only few of these is they can take extract. And then if you go straight to the Cerevisia, it's kind of difficult. They leave a message in the first two days. They leave yeah. a message. They 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 dead uh, with uh, three of alcohol, three four of alcohol, 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 but they leave a message in the wine. But a lot of in natural. Can I say? Natural producer, they say, ah, my, piedi cuve. So, piedi cuve, you have only Saccharomyces cerdesia, only the second part. There is that are able to resist to the alcohol the, 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 of the brand. But you lose the terroir, you lose, yeah. you, they leave a message and you, 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 you lose this message. <laughs> this, this is, my goodness, this is a discussion that could, yeah. we could carry on for hours about the whole Pierre de Couve or not yes. thing. This yeah. is such a huge yeah. topic. I'm going yeah. <laughs> yeah, to avoid, like, we could literally be here for a day, I think. Um, I just wanted to see, maybe we'll take, we'll take one more question. Oh, now immediately we've got loads. Oh, hang on, Remy. Yeah. I think that's very, very true, actually. And I think it's, it's you know, normally when you first encounter anything, a, a style of wine, wine itself, a style of music, a style of films, at first, everything in that style seems a little bit the same. Like, I often say to people, you know, people who say all orange wines taste the same, you know, some of us might say all hip-hop sounds the same. And it does, if you don't know it and you haven't explored it. And you need to go a bit deeper into it, and then you start seeing all the nuances and the differences. And a lot of, you know, maybe some of you have had this experience when you first tried wine, however many years or decades ago, you, all wine kind of tastes, oh, it's kind of, it tastes nice, it tastes fruity, <laughs> you know. Um, but then after a while, you start to focus in. And so I think most of us don't have so much experience with orange wines yet. You know, we have, if we're lucky, we have 10, 15, 20 years at the absolute outside. But so, yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. It takes time. Um, I'll, uh, I'll draw things to a close, so thank you so much for coming. I hope you found it interesting. Um, just to say, uh, well, thank you so much to you guys for being a part of it. Um, if, you, if you are interested in the topic uh, and you want to know more, um, I did write this book, which is available here. Um, I'm happy to sign it. Um, I'll be around for another hour or so, uh, if you'd like that. Um, I think that's it. Thanks very much.